0: That's great. We are going to be in Acts chapter 3, the first uh, handful of verses in Acts chapter 3 today. And uh, as you know, we have been in a series of messages uh, that we have been um, hearing and thinking about and talking about together, we've been practicing in certain ways, Uh, we've been in the series uh, that we've been calling Generous Relationships, and the whole idea has been Uh, to grow our capacity to have generous relationships in our lives. And today we're wrapping up that series. Uh, And one of the sort of bedrock things that we've been saying all along is that our relationships are a part of our discipleship. Uh, The way that we do relationships with other human beings are just as much a part of our discipleship as reading the Bible and praying. And today we're going to be thinking about this idea of sharing, sharing ourselves, giving of ourselves. But we're going to see when we follow Jesus, when we do discipleship, we follow Jesus into our relationships, uh, three things. First of all, we're going to see, so watch for this, right? We're going to see, first of all, that following Jesus into our relationships uh, means that others will receive more than they think. Uh, They receive more than they can imagine. Secondly, uh, we give more than ourselves. Others receive more than they can imagine, and we're going to give more than just ourselves. We're going to share more than ourselves, because number three, generous relationships always point to Jesus. So that's our outline today. So we'll uh, listen for those things in this story, Acts chapter three. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. And as they approached the temple, a man, Uh, lame from birth, was carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the Beautiful Gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. And the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting a gift. But Peter said, I don't have any money for you, but I'll give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankle bones were healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then, walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. And when they realized he was the lame beggar that they had seen so often by the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out to Solomon's colonnade, where he was holding tightly to Peter and John, and everyone stood there in awe of the wonderful thing that had happened. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we ask that you would open our ears, open our hearts, open our lives to the work that your Spirit wants to do in us today. Come, Holy Spirit, be here with your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is the very first miracle that Jesus' disciples do after Jesus ascends back into heaven in the story of Acts. And what we want to do today is notice what this... Uh, not just what this means, not just what the miracle means, but how it means. In other words, watch the process. Watch how this, un, this relationship unfolds between uh, Peter and John and this beggar. This relationship carries the meaning. So uh, the details are important. Think for a minute about uh, this man. Uh, he uh, has been lame since birth. He has never had a day in his life uh, when he could walk. Uh, we want to uh, to recognize that walking just isn't in his experience. It isn't something that he um, has a memory of. It isn't something that he has a hope for. Uh, he's never been a walker. A little bit later on we read that this man has been doing this for 40 years. For 40 years, he's been finding somebody to carry him to the gate. For 40 years, he sits there in the dirt and he asks passersby for money. For 40 years, he gets picked up at the end of the day and carried back home again. Forty years begging scraps from strangers. And after 40 years, there's a certain level of routine that's begun to develop in this man's mind. A well uh, sort of uh, traveled rut in his thinking. In his expectations. What is he expecting will happen today after 40 years? Never walked, no hope, no memory, lame since birth. He sits there and he says, I know, I will just sit here today and I'll ask for money. And he asks people for money again and again and again. And Peter and John come along. And what does he do? He asks them for money. But they're about to blow his expectations absolutely out of the water. They say, I don't have any money. Right? The King James Version, really memorable, says silver and gold, have I none? But what I have, I give to you freely. Right? I don't have any money, but I will give you what I have. I don't have any money, but what I, what I do have here, I'll give it to you. And what Peter is saying, what John is saying is, look, you're looking for something within your normal range of expectations. Life has taught you to expect this much and nothing more. Life has taught you what you will get. Life has taught you what your station and your place and your experience will be. And you have asked me uh, for something that you think will help you to get by. But I want to give you something better. Uh, What you're looking for from me is too superficial. It isn't enough. It isn't sufficient. It isn't isn't, uh, expanding your expectations at all. Go deeper. Look deeper. Dig deeper. What do you really want? What do you really need? I'm not going to give you what you've asked me for. Instead, I'm going to give you something even better. I'm going to give you something greater. I'm going to give you something deeper. And imagine this moment. Stand up and walk. Stand up and walk. Church, be the ones who do that. Be the ones who step into relationships all over this city and do more than anyone expects blow people out of the water with your generosity stun your spouse move your coworkers bless a stranger be the ones who do this how how do you do that you do that by seeing by listening and by inviting people to go deeper and to dig deeper and to think bigger and make space for God to move at a deeper level than just simply at the surface. In other words, if you're going to be the sort of person who can show up in relationships and give more than anyone expects, give more than anyone can imagine, you're going to have to give more than just yourself. Uh, you're going to have to give more than just yourself. So number two. The reason this man gets more than he expects, more than he can imagine, is that Peter and John give more than just themselves. Uh, The central point of the story is when Peter says, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. It isn't in Peter's name. It's not in John's name. It's not uh, in their power. It isn't their gift. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And a little bit later, after the healing. Peter uses the opportunity to speak to the crowds about what has just happened. And this is what he says in verse 16 of chapter 3. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. Then he says it again. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given, this, uh, that has given complete healing to him, as you all can see. And then in the next chapter, in chapter 4, when you get to chapter 4, verse 14, you see that this lame man, this one who is begging by the side of the road, has actually now thrown himself in with the follower, with the disciples of Jesus. This man has actually become a follower of Jesus, and he's counted among Jesus' disciples. So somehow from the very second that, G, that Peter stands in front of him uh, he, he, and says to him, Take my hand, stand up, and walk. You know, when he says, when Peter's imagine that. When this this man who has never walked a day in his life, for 40 years he sat in the dirt, for 40 years nothing has ever changed. The best he can hope for is somebody to carry him to a spot and somebody to give him some coins. The best he's ever gotten. And Peter walks up to him and says, take my hand, stand up. What would go through your mind? What would cause you to even try to stand after 40 years? Why would you even try to do it? And for some reason, this man grabs a hold of Peter's hand and jumps to his feet. And Peter says, somehow, in some way, when that man took my hand, He was exercising faith. It's faith in Jesus, he says, that healed him. It's faith in Jesus. Somehow, in some way, taking my hand was an exercise of faith. And and this beggar with his atrophied limbs encounters Peter. It's as if he's encountering Jesus. Trusting in Peter, who trusts in Jesus, is like trusting in Jesus. Trusting in Peter, who trusts in Jesus, opens up the doorway for healing. Peter's touch is as Jesus' touch. Peter's words are as Jesus' words. Take my hand. Stand up. Peter says, by faith, it's by faith, in the name of Jesus, that this man was healed. Every day, there are opportunities for each one of us, uh, to reach out to others, to be the word of Jesus, to touch, to be the touch of Jesus, to demonstrate the excellence of Jesus. Right? There are family members, colleagues at work, strangers that happen to intersect the trajectory of our lives who are waiting to be touched by Jesus. I recently read about an encounter, uh, a, a really simple moment uh, that took place one morning around 6 a.m. Uh, A man had just finished his early morning run and uh, as he tells the story, he was just passing by a local Starbucks. And as he uh, was passing by, he decided to stop in the Starbucks and pick up a couple cups of coffee, uh, one just the way he likes it and one just the way his wife likes it and uh, make it home in time, uh, just in time for her to be waking up. And since the cafe had just opened, uh, there's only one other person in the lobby. And uh, when this jogger uh, steps into the lobby, uh, he hears an argument taking place. Uh, and, you know, we've all heard arguments taking place in, at coffee shops and in restaurants and retail stores. Uh, but he said this was fairly intense. And the nature of the argument was uh, the man was standing there with a, a, a New York Times in one hand and a $50 bill in the other hand. And he was absolutely insisting that uh, the clerk behind the counter make change uh, from his 50. And the clerk was trying to say, I don't have enough money in my drawer to make change for 50 at this point. I can't do it. I don't have enough money. And the man was absolutely insistent. But I want to buy the paper and here's my money and I'm going to pay you and you're going to make change. And this started to escalate. And our jogger steps in and he just said, I'll buy the paper. Put it on my tab. And immediately the situation is diffused. The New York Times guy is shocked. The Starbucks guy is amazed. And The New York Times guy takes his paper and heads out of the coffee shop, and he says, "Um, all that I have is yours. Thanks a lot. And our jogger says, well, evidently that doesn't include the $50 bill, but uh, no problem, good to go. And then to his surprise, the biggest impact was on the barista uh, who looked at him and said, that was a really nice thing that you did. That was a really great thing. And then he says, you know, this world would be a lot better place uh, if we just had more people in it like you. And our jogger was kind of taken back by that. Thought about that for a little while. He finally came to the conclusion that, no, that's not true. Uh, If you really knew me, you wouldn't say that this world would be a better place if there were more people like me. That isn't really true. Uh, Instead, he says, what's true is uh, this world would be a lot better place if there were more people like Jesus in it. Uh, If if this world had more people like Jesus in it, uh, the world would be better. And as I read that little story, that little anecdote, common, everyday, ordinary, I thought, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's just it. The world doesn't need more of me. The world doesn't need more of you. The world needs more of Jesus living through you. So how does the world get Jesus through you? You know, there was a time in my life when I thought mostly what that meant was some sort of a formal presentation of Jesus. Uh, there was a time in my life when I thought most of what that meant was that there would be a presentation of Jesus, an argument about the, the, about Jesus, a, a formal invitation for somebody to come and believe in Jesus, maybe uh, attempting to convince or persuade somebody that they should uh, follow Jesus and become a Christian. But what I, what I want to say is, before before we do any of those things, before we give the facts about Jesus, or the arguments in favor of Jesus. What I want to say is, um, who who has encountered Jesus in you? Who has experienced and seen Jesus for themselves, through you? And so does your spouse uh, routinely experience the relentless and healing and generous and unconditional love of Jesus through you? Does your husband know that Jesus loves him Because of your love. Does your wife know that Jesus loves her because of your love? Uh, Do the kids and the parents on the team that you coach encounter Jesus standing there on the sideline? Do they know Jesus because they know you? Uh, Can those in our community who are struggling to walk today, who have had maybe years of not being able to walk, of not even daring to hope to walk? Can the homeless addict, the felon, the widow, the gay teen, the new single parent, can they find a place here to find the presence of Jesus and to begin to reach out and to take a hold of your hand and to begin to wonder what it would look like to trust in in just a rudimentary, basic way? this Jesus who lives in you. and Here's why that's so important. It isn't important because we want to make people religious or to fill churches. It isn't important because people should be conservative or become good middle-class Americans. But it's important because that's the only hope we have to be human beings. When we give more than ourselves, we're pointing to a Jesus who gives us all more than we dare hope. See this little interaction again? The man only expects money. He only thinks he's going to get some money. And then he gets what? What does he get? What what do we all get? It isn't just money. It isn't just healing. It isn't just friendship. But ultimately what he gets is Jesus. What he really needs is Jesus. And because he gets Jesus, what he gets is hope. And not just hope for him, but hope for all of us. Hope for everyone. Hope for Peter and for John. Hope for Jerusalem. Hope for you and hope for me. See, the beggar is sitting there thinking, if I can just get a couple of coins, I'll be okay for today. If I can just get by with a couple of coins, I'll make it another day. And we might be thinking, yeah, well, here comes um, Peter and here comes John. And if this man could only walk, uh, his troubles would be over. Have you ever thought that? If I could just walk, my troubles would be over. If I could just get to the next step, if I could just get this piece together, if I could just fix that, if I could just walk, my troubles would be over. But Jesus comes along and says, listen, there are plenty of people with money to spare who are absolutely miserable and sit in the dirt all the time. And there are plenty of countless people who have two good legs and they live empty lives. You can learn to walk, but you just wait. A month or two months or three months from now, you'll be miserable again for a whole different reason. And it will never end. But Jesus says, listen, what I want to give you is the end of emptiness. It's the end of lameness. I want to give you restoration. I want to give you Wholeness, I want to give you full humanity, big time. (laughs) And so nobody in Jesus' day who is reading this story, hearing this story, wouldn't think of Isaiah 33. Isaiah 33 says this, uh, 35. Isaiah 35, we read this, this verse. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened in the ears of the deaf unstopped, Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. See, do you remember the the way that the details of the story unfold? This man uh, doesn't just get up and walk, but Peter records for us that he stands up and he leaps and he shouts for joy. And Isaiah 35 comes right into focus. Isaiah 35 is describing what's going to happen in this world when God comes back and restores everything. And Peter is pointing to exactly that same conclusion. One of the things he says down here is in verse 21, and he says, Jesus must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything. See, he's pointing to, to Isaiah 35 language. He's pointing to restoration language. He's pointing to final fulfillment. What's the miracle then? Isn't just the, it isn't just this moment. It isn't just get up and walk again. It isn't, it isn't just for this one particular man. It isn't just for John and for Peter. But it's the future. It's a new future that transforms all of our present moments with hope. Have you ever wondered why it is that all of the miracles in the Bible, all of them, at some point, are intended to alleviate suffering or trouble of some kind? The miracles in the Bible are never just raw, naked displays of power. Right? Jesus never uh, steps onto the scene and says, now I'm going to dazzle you with pu- proof that I'm God and shoots lasers out of his eyes and blows up a boulder or goes soaring across the horizon. Uh, with a, he, it's never just a raw, naked display of power. Every time there's a miracle, every time the power of God shows up on earth, human suffering is being alleviated. A need is being met. Something broken is being fixed. Because it's pointing to this end. It's pointing to this moment of full restoration. It's pointing to this hope when God comes at the end of history and restores all things finally and completely and utterly. So here's what we learn. God didn't invent blindness, and he didn't invent lameness, and he didn't create suffering, and he didn't create a world filled with death. But he's restoring that world. He's renewing that world and he's restoring us in that world. And our best relationships, our best marriages, our best friendships, our best human connections, our relationships that point to that hope, that give you and me enough space to hold on to that hope and to leap a little bit and to shout with joy just a little bit in the midst of a relationship because we can just taste the restoration that Jesus is working around us. Here's the last thing I want to say about the hope that we find in Jesus. When we do generous relationships, when we share this way, We do generous relationships. Others receive more than they can imagine because we are giving more than ourselves and pointing towards Jesus, the Jesus who gives hope. And the last thing I want to say is this. The last thing I want to say about hope in Jesus is that it's an invitation. We can't do a, a whole series on generous relationships without this invitation. The most generous relationship that you will ever experience is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you have not yet come to a place where Jesus' life is living in you and through you, where you are living in a trust, faith relationship with Jesus, we want to invite you to begin to do that today. Place your faith in Jesus. Have you ever noticed that whenever a miracle happens in the Bible, uh, it's as if um, there's a cost to the one who's doing the miracle. There's always a price that gets paid. Uh, the miracle worker is always put in some at some kind of loss, put in some kind of jeopardy, some kind of danger. So it isn't surprising that this very first miracle that Jesus' disciples do after Jesus' ascension, they heal a man and... In the book of Acts, this is going to go on for two whole chapters dealing with this one incident. Because Peter and John actually get thrown in prison for doing this. They actually get thrown in prison. And so, again, the pattern. They've done a miracle. They've, they've, they've demonstrated the presence of Jesus. And they get thrown in prison. Uh, their life isn't uh, at, at stake just yet. Uh, but their lives are threatened. If you go into Jesus' day, you see it in Jesus' miracles also, right? Think about when when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. What happens? Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and the religious leaders who have gathered around to watch what's happening say, that's it, now we're going to do what? Now we're going to kill him. We have to get him. We have to kill him. We have to put an end to this. The miracle puts Jesus in jeopardy. Uh, When Jesus is walking down uh, the, the road, we talked about this a few weeks ago, and the woman who was uh, hemorrhaging grabbed a hold of his robe. What does Jesus say? He says, oh, the po- some power has gone out of me. I feel power has left me. Power has, has gone out. It's, it's almost as if he's saying, um, you get my strength and I take your weakness. That's the, that's the, that's the, the, the power of these miracles. Uh, the, the one who has strength uh, gives up that strength, and the one who has weakness gives up that weakness. There's a great exchange that happens. You take my strength, I take your weakness. There's an uh, eyewitness account of how Christians, early disciples of Jesus, practiced these generous relationships, how they behaved during the urban plagues of the 2nd and 3rd century in the Greco-Roman world. About 2,000 years ago, uh, there were these uh, horrendous urban plagues that swept through the cities. And a historical fact is that most people, when they saw the plague, uh, the infection, the contagion, they saw how terrible, they saw how gruesome the death was, most people would just abandon um, those who were suffering and flee, uh, trying to save themselves and get away from the plague. Uh, But the Christians did something different. The Christians stayed. And um, one eyewitness observed and recorded this. Uh, He was so moved. Most Christians in the plague uh, showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of others. Heedless of danger, they took care of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And many departed their life serenely happy, for they were infected by their neighbors and cheerfully accepted their pains. So many, in nursing and caring for others, transferred their death to themselves and died in their place. Where do you think the Christians got that idea? Where, Where do you think followers of Jesus would have thought that, that they should be willing to nurse people back to health at the cost of their own lives? What made Christians so willing to make others strong through their weakness? Well, it was their faith in Jesus. It was their faith in the Jesus who had already given them his strength and taken their weakness. That's what it looks like for somebody to receive more than expected because you give more than yourself by pointing others to Jesus. See, in the generous relationships that the scripture calls us to, the standard isn't merely, am I being nice? Am I a nice person? Am I a polite person? Or even, am I meeting some need? But the standard is, am I bringing Jesus to this encounter? Am I bringing Jesus into this conversation? Am I bringing Jesus into this moment? And so often, Mostly, when I ask myself that question, the answer is no. And then I'm back to being the one who is weak. I am the one who is lame. I am the one who is emotionally or relationally paralyzed. And my own need for Jesus' healing touch is resurfaced and renewed. It's a Jesus who takes my weakness and gives me his strength. And then I can leap and sing and follow Jesus again back into the relationships of my life. Live generously following Jesus into your relationship, saints. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this picture of your healing Thank you for the ways that you have invited us to be your voice and your touch and your hands. Thank you for the ways that you allow us to represent you over and over again across the relationship span of our lives. And so, Lord, uh, help us identify those places where um, we need to rely on your strength in new ways, uh, places where um, we can. Give up the facade of being strong in favor of uh, faith and trust in you. Lord, thank you for the relationships that you give to us, especially the relationship that we enjoy with your son, in whose name we pray. Amen.